Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Greetings, Bible scholars. Bible scholars. All right. Aren't Fair we enough. all really? Yeah. I mean, we're all trying to be students and therefore scholars at some point. I, I guess that fits, right? It's kind of like the person that's like, well, I'm not a theologian. Well, actually. Yeah, everyone's a theologian. Everyone is a theologian. According to R.C. Sproul's book. Richard Dawkins, he'd be a theologian. Of sorts. Yeah. Yes, not a good one. Not a good one. But one nonetheless. Right, because everyone has some sort of thought about God. Everyone's got theology and right. therefore are de facto theologians. Right. So I guess then as believers, since everybody should be studying the Bible as a believer in some capacity, we would all be Bible scholars. scholars. Stu- at least a minimum students. I guess students. it depends on what you define as a scholar. As someone who's an authority of the subject matter, maybe not so much, but I think everyone's got a sense of humility to say, look, I'm still a work in progress. You're still a work in progress. We have some scholarship behind our names, but that doesn't make it the, the, the biggest difference. That's fair. That's fair. Well, hey, you're here with us uh, because hopefully you do enjoy studying the Bible and you enjoy reading the Bible. I think and, they do. Uh, and we do. And uh, we I hope this, this podcast has been helpful along those lines. But um, we're jumping into Old Testament reading uh, today with Job 19 and 20. Mm-hmm. And then in the book of Acts, some interesting text about uh, Saul's conversion, continuing that story there in the rest of Acts chapter 9. Mm. Uh, but Job chapter 19, Job chapter 19 basically is about this. Job is is lamenting here still, uh, but there's this glimpse where he asserts a, a, a hope in the future, in future redemption. And so we'll talk about that here, but he's still lamenting his situation, but yet there's this glimmer of hope there. We've talked about it in the past. There's this up down um, kind of wave roller coaster that we ride with Job and we find it again here in this passage. But uh, he starts with kind of a, a rebuke of his friends when he's saying, hey, how long are you going to torment me? How long are you going to rebuke me? He says, you've, you've cast reproach upon me. Are you not ashamed to wrong me? Um, there's that, that kind of, Hey, think about what you're doing here. Like, do you guys not feel any sense of shame? I'm look at me right Taking now. a man while he's down. Right. And so he's, he's, he already called them miserable, miserable comforters, worthless physicians. Now he's going, are you just shameless about where you're at? Um, and then he goes on to, to, to talk about his perspective on what God has been doing to him. And he's saying in verse seven, I, I cry out violence, but I'm not answered. He's walled up my way so that I cannot pass. He's closing me in. He stripped me from my glory. Uh, he breaks me down on every side. And then he says this in verse 11, he has kindled his wrath against me and counts me as his adversary. That's unique because we know, because we were privileged to the beginning of Job, that that's not actually what's happening that God is not pouring out his wrath upon Job right now, right? That's right. And yet, from his perspective, that's what it feels like. And and I, I made a note, I kind of thought to myself, well, I guess who could blame him at this point? Like, what other conclusion does he have to come to other than God is angry with me for something? Hmm. Um, and yet, we as the reader get the the benefit of, of having been privy to the divine counsel, and we know that that's not the case. Um, but Job, he's got this, this despondency about him and he goes on and he he feels desperately alone his friends have 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 abandoned him verse 13 he has put my brothers far from me those who knew me are wholly estranged from me Uh, verse 17 my breath is strange to my wife (laughs) 
<laughs> that's not a good position to be in. No, nah, man, that's, nah. that's, that's upsetting. Yeah. I, I think in a, in a couple podcasts ago, you mentioned halitosis and, and I think that's what the, I mean, that's what the consensus is about what he's talking about. Yeah. But I suppose it could just be like, man, I'm even, even I'm foreign, even to my bride, he could right. be saying, right. And he says, and I'm a stench to the children of my own mother, right? That's, his siblings, the siblings, right. yeah, brothers and sisters. I guess maybe if you're mad at your brothers and sisters and you don't want to own them, you're like, yeah, yeah you child of my mother. It's like, <laughs> I distance myself from you. Right. All my intimate friends abhor me and those whom I loved have turned against me. I mean, just the despondency, the aloneness, the isolation that Job experiences here. And yet there's the, the glimmer of hope that he has here coming. Um, in verse 23, that my words were written, that they were inscribed in a book with an iron pen and lead, that they were engraved in the rock forever. And then here's the statement, for I know my redeemer lives and at last he will stand upon the earth or some translations say upon the dust after my skin has been thus destroyed yet in my flesh, I shall see God. Now let's break this down a little bit, right? Yeah, because we've got to ask the question, is he talking about, or, or maybe the question should be just who is he talking about? Uh, Pastor Rod, what are your, your thoughts on that? Well, I think Job is expressing one of these rare occurrences of kind of a prophetic insight. Job speaks better than he knows. And there's times where Job does this even throughout his work where he says things that give that sense of hope and optimism that are birthed from some knowledge of God. In fact, even as I read this, I wondered in myself, where is Job getting this? <laughs> he talks about the words of God and, and even honoring the words of God. I thought, okay, what, what words is he reading? If he's a, at the same time as the patriarchs, That means there's not a whole lot written about God at this point. So what is he reading? What is he referring to? But in this particular instance, I think Job is poetically or prophetically and poetically referring to the ultimate redeemer. He doesn't know who he is, doesn't know what that's going to look like. But I do think there is a shadowy reference to and maybe a little less shadowy reference to the resurrection and to the ultimate sense of which he'll be vindicated. God will vindicate him at some point in the future. Right. And I think there are moments wherein we have to wonder, are we reading too much of the New Testament into the Old Testament? Are we are we giving too much credit from these Old Testament prophets or Old Testament authors for what they may have known at the time? But that's where we have to remember, as we've talked about before on this podcast, that there's dual authorship here in right. the writing of the scriptures. It's yes, it's Job, but it's also the, the spirit that is carrying him along as he's writing these things. And there are commentators that say, well, was he really talking about resurrection or just earthly vindication? Was, was his hope there? You know, there's, there's, there's pages and paragraphs spilt on whether or not this had to do with the kinsman redeemer concept from Ruth when he's talking about the redeemer and talking about how God was known as the redeemer during the Exodus period. But you bring up the, the good point of saying, yeah, but, but Joe may have predated all of that right. as far as his time frame. So to read that back into it, now we're reading Old Testament into Old Testament and we're guilty of the same thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. Right. So did Job have Jesus in mind? I I think we can safely say, no, he didn't, though the spirit may have as he was penning that and as he was writing that. We know that this is our confidence. We know that as we read this as, as Christians, we think my redeemer does live. And in the end, he will stand on the earth. In fact, it, it brings to mind that the concept of the return of Christ, which is what we're waiting for now and the idea yeah. of him returning and standing on the Mount of Olives and, mm-hmm. and that whole scene there. I mean, that's such a, a cool picture here. Again, one that Job didn't have, but one that we can possess there. That's right. After my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Uh, 
what a, a great hope that is, right? And, and we've got suffering saints listening to this right now, some with diseases, some with debilitating uh, problems physically, their bodies are not working the way they should. And there's just this brokenness there. And yet there's this hope in this future restoration, even physically there that they can have. Yeah. And I think one of the important points for this chapter is to remember that your pers- perspective can be easily distorted. You made the, the point earlier, Pastor PJ, that uh, Job, in his mind, he's drawing the conclusion, God hates me, he's walling me in, he's doing all these things to me. And I guess in a sense that's true because God is sovereign. However, the, he doesn't have the whole story. And that really is the point for all of us. Again, we never have the whole story. We never know how God's going to unfold all of human history to bring about his maximal glory in our greatest good. So, believer, prepare to be tested and prepare to trust that he's got good plans for you. Mm. Chapter 20, then kind of the, the summary of chapter 20 is, is Zophar steps up to answer Job and his message is essentially what the message has been time and time again from these men. And that is the wicked get what they deserve. I mean, that's basically what he's saying in chapter 20 here is, is again, in just a different way, the wicked get what they deserve. And Zophar is offended. Look at verse two. I hear censure that insults me. And so Job's offended by his friends. His friends are offended by him. It's, it's kind of a mess is what it is at this point. Yep. Um, and he's telling Job, look, there's, there's no hope of vindication for you. Uh, do you not know this from of old? He says in verse four, since man was placed on the earth, the exulting of the wicked is short and the joy of the godless is but for a moment. Uh, and in verse 12, though evil is sweet in the mouth of the wicked, he hides it under his tongue. He's loath to let it go. He holds it in his mouth yet. Verse 14, his food is turned in his stomach and it's the venom of cobras within him. How about verse 16? He will suck the poison of cobras. The tongue of the viper will kill him. This is, these are not comforting words. Um, and it's a broken record. I, I feel like in some points at, at this point in time, um, and yet it's, it's good for us to read this. This is a historical account. This actually did happen. This is not a movie script that we're reading. This is what actually took place in Job's life. He actually went through all of this, this back and forth between him and his friends and just the hopeless counsel that his friends give. Yeah. The, he lacks nuance, as we said before. And essentially what it comes down to, dude, your time has come. Like this is exactly what we would expect to happen to a wicked man. Um, and even in verse 20, he talks about, Job, you're not even content, dude. You can't, you're not content with the lot in life that God has given you. You're a hedonist. You're not going to let anything in which you delight escape you. I mean, Zophar is going for it. He's unleashing the best that he has to give in order to get it through Job's thick skull and Zophar's perspective. Dude, you're, you're a sinner, man. Just acknowledge it. Recognize that. And dude, it'll be better for you if you're just willing to accept what God says about you. And that's the problem here. They're, they're absolutely wrong. Yep. Yep. So that's Job 19 and 20. Now we get into our New Testament writing, reading for the day. Not writing. Don't write the New Testament. The New Testament's already been written. It's done, bro. And, uh, and done. we don't need your help with that. God doesn't need your help with that. So if you've got a submission for the New Testament, just just sit on that for... Email that to Pastor PJ at <laughs> Compass NTS. And, uh, and just be ready for red pen because it, you may have some good insights, but I'm just going to red pen the whole thing. You're going to send it back to them with a red pen? Yeah, because if, if you think that you're writing the Bible, then you're not. I appreciate that you're even going to take time to read it. I, well, I wouldn't. <laughs> I would just take the red pen and scribble all over Scribble it. everything out. Don't send it to me. We're reading the New Testament, not writing it. That's my whole point, not all that. Okay. In, in, <laughs> so basically in our, our section, in the rest of chapter nine, uh, you get the, the ongoing growth of Saul coupled with uh, just some, some more glimpses of the miracles validating the messages with the rest to the expansion of the, the church here. Um, so so Paul is a new believer and he's going in synagogues and proclaiming Jesus and um, it, it's not going well and understandably so that the Jews are angry with him and they want him to stop that and, and they want him 
to to die and and you think about it it makes sense because he was he knew their stuff backwards and forwards and now he's all of a sudden a believer and they're thinking this is not going to go well for us and so uh, the the followers of Jesus find this out and they take Saul in this dramatic scene they they let him down um, through a, a opening in the wall, lowering him down in a basket, right? And like he's running for his life. And sometimes I think about the movie scenes that could be made if somebody took time to to do the biblical account of Saul's life and stuff. And this is one of those where people are coming to kill him and they're under cloak and dagger, putting him in a basket and lowering down out of the window. Just a a cool scene, but uh, more than that, just a reminder of the stakes of what was going on. Like, right. I wonder how Saul, how Saul Paul felt about that. I right. Mean, it's cool for us to look at that and be like, Oh, that's so cool. But right. dude, that's, that's terrifying. If that, if that's you, I'm thinking, Lord, can you, can we just not do this? Right. But Jesus warned him at the very beginning of his, of his conversion, you're going to suffer for my name's sake. And this is part of that suffering. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Counting the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. And we knew that, that we know the rest of the story. So we know that Saul is going to bear fruit from his, his ministry. But yeah, he goes to Jerusalem then in verse 26 and he attempts to join the disciples there and they're all afraid of him. They didn't believe he was a disciple. Yeah. Right. This is Ananias all over again. Um, and so it just, it goes on. Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus, uh, and spoke and, and disputed against the Hellenists. So he's just doing a good ministry here. But there's this this little hiccup here in, when it, it talked about many days had passed. And we skipped over that. That's the, the beginning of this. Pastor Rod, what, what are we talking about with many days had passed? So what we have here is what we think is a reference to Galatians chapter 1. Paul spent three years in Arabia. And this is where we're trying to put the pieces together to say, okay, how does the historical account fit together? How does a narrative work? And if you're, if you're tracking along with what we've been reading so far, it's not always exactly clear how the timeline fits. But with that said, our best guess is that at the beginning of 23 here, verse 23, when many days had passed, we think that's the three-year time frame that Paul spends in Galatians chapter one, where he says, I, I spent three years there. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians chapter one, verses 17 and 18, pause us and read that pretty quickly. And then realize that's where we think this is taking place. He's being prepared. God is uh, equipping him to do good ministry elsewhere. So even though it's a quick verse, notice that in that verse, we're probably looking at a time frame of about three years. As we continue there, it shifts the scene away from him. Um, verse 31, I just thought this was so cool. And I, I thought, man, I, I desire this for our church. And I think it's just desirable for really any church, right? It says the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up mm. and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and multiplied. What a cool summary there of the state of the early church. I want that for our church. I want that to just be who we are and and what people think about with us. I I, I pray for peace for our church and we should pray for peace in our society, in our culture, that that we would be able to have that to do effective ministry. Um, But I pray also that we would be a church that does walk in the fear of the Lord and and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and that God does great things through us and and grows our number as a result of that. it's just a, a really great glimpse of what's going on there. And then we get some more vignettes, these snapshots of, of these miracles validating the messengers. Uh, in, in verses 32 through 35, you get the healing of Aeneas. There, as, as Peter goes and he comes, and Aeneas had been bedridden, it said, for eight years in the text, paralyzed. And Aeneas says, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. I think that's funny. Rise and make your bed, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe Get to work. <laughs> right. Go build a wall. It's like, dude, your mom is right there. She's going to tell you, rise and, and make your bed. 
And immediately he rose and all the residents of Lydda, 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 and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. And that's the key there. They turned to the Lord. Turned to what about the Lord? Well, in faith and repentance, right? And it, mm. it doesn't specifically say that, but that's what that means. They turned to the Lord. And so they're listening to the message that Peter's proclaiming in part because his message had been validated by this miracle that he had just performed. Right. And, and God's bearing fruit through that. I, we've talked about this before, but I'm not going to go heal somebody to validate my message. I'm going to say, the, here's the scriptures. We have it recorded for us in the word of God. And the spirit today takes the written word of God and applies it to the hearts of men or the proclaimed word of God and applies it to the hearts of men. Yep. But it's not that I need to heal somebody to validate that message. That message is powerful in and of itself in the written word of God that we possess today. Right. One of the things that I think that's evident evidenced by is that the word itself is what helps create that environment of... Uh, of belief, the word had the word is living and active. We don't say that the prophecies are living and active, necessarily, or the the prophecies that what we experience today that is, or the healings are living and active, or that tongues are living and active. We say that the word is, the word is what has power to produce the kind of effect that God intends to have in people's lives. So even as you were referenced earlier, Pastor PJ, the the church walking in the fear of the Lord. Well, what was provoking that? It was their knowledge of God's word, mm. who He was, and that was influenced by the Spirit's writings. They're walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the fear of the Lord. Those two two seemingly opposing things working in tandem because of the Word of God. It was the Word that created the fear. It was the Word that also brought the comfort. The fear of the Lord also being com, com, uh, connected to uh, the gospel, which of course brought that comfort that they were talking about. Hey, this last section, Pastor Rod, I want you to take this one because Uh-oh. it it uh, has specific bearing in your life, right? Yeah, so we named one of our kids Tabitha. But when she's acting up, we call her Dorcas because <laughs> it sounds a lot more insulting. <laughs> yeah. Tabitha is a woman from Joppa. And what I love about this woman, and you probably read it and saw the same things, man, this woman, as scripture says, the scripture's testimony is full of good works and acts of charity. Would it be that all of our kids are known to be full of good works and acts of charity? Mm. Well, as, as she is fallen dead, uh, she is, they call on Peter to come to Joppa to heal her. Um, and so they find out as Peter makes his way over there, he, he finds out that these people are bringing garments that she made for them. And these, these people that are bringing them are widows. They're some of the most vulnerable people. Remember what James says about true religion. True religion is not just going to church and reading your Bible. True religion is caring for the orphans and the widows, for caring about those who are the least among us. Uh, uh, Dorcas, <laughs> Tabitha, is known for that. She bears a beautiful testimony. And so they're like, please do something for her. And of course, Peter does exactly what they expect him to do. He prays for her. One commentator made note here that he doesn't touch her until after she's alive because he didn't want to defile himself. Whether or not that's happening or we don't know. We don't know if that's really what's what's taking place in his heart and mind here. But what we do see is that he really offers her just a command, Tabitha, arise. And we see here, she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up pretty unremarkable description of what was entirely remarkable in the early church here. Peter does the, the miraculous, then calling the saints and the widows. He presented her alive. Guys, check out Tabitha. She's alive. And I'm sure they all rejoiced, cried, celebrated, and shouted. And get this. This is the point again. We see what the what the works are, what the, what the miracles are meant to do. Verse 42, it became known throughout all Joppa, obviously, and many believed in the Lord. That's the whole purpose here. The resurrection, the miracles, the acts of the spirit, all points to the Lord and the purpose is to make them believe in what God is doing. Also, if you've ever been to Israel, you've been to her hometown there in Tabitha or Tabitha's hometown in Joppa, (laughs) um, because that's where the airport is, Tel Aviv. 
that, yeah. that's the same area there. It's that's also cool. where uh, Jonah, the prophet, was uh, was leaving out from when uh, when he was fleeing from the Lord. So kind of cool that, again, these are historical places where we can go to these these sites. Tabitha is another person, though, to track down when we get to heaven, though, and, and ask Tell her, just like with that, Lazarus, yeah. what and be happened? like, hey, where were you? What was that like? So She's always dead, Pastor PJ. Right. And, and it says she opened her eyes and saw Peter. I wonder if she oh. had been looking at Jesus and yeah. then and then all of a sudden she sees Peter and she's Peter, like, oh, come on. Come on, man. What are you, oh, man. Well, hey, we, uh, we're grateful that you tuned in for another episode with us at the Daily yeah, Bible Podcast and we will catch you again tomorrow. We hope so. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.